This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash artscouncilengland. Start off the afternoon is actually a very short session which is really just uh, feedback from the chairs, just a couple of minutes each, about what happened this morning in each of the different areas, which will then feed on into uh, this afternoon's conversation when you go into your different groups that you've all uh, signed up to. Uh, So uh, right away I am going to uh, introduce them, but what I'm going to do is ask them to introduce their own session and what it actually was. So, um, Althea, let's start with you, because you're certainly not Richard Lees. I'm not Richard Lees. But um, you're from uh, the Arts Council as the CEO, so therefore you are going to start on behalf of Richard Lees. And your session was which? My session was the role of the artist in a changing society. And uh, apologies from Richard Lees, but uh, I'm doing this on behalf of him. And what we... Do you want me to sort of go through? I want you just to go for it. Tell you what I did, okay. Um, We spent a little time actually unpacking the question. So that question of of what's an artist and what's a change in society. So uh, so is it, in fact, about what's the role of the society with a changing artist? And there were interesting questions about what exactly is an artist. Is everyone now an artist? And actually in the group there were different opinions uh, to that question, the sort of yes and no. And I think where we came down to was that actually there was something very... Um, powerful about the role of the artist using his or her imagination. Uh, there was also a theme in unpacking the question, which is about avoiding um, a binary polarisation. So uh, polarisations, for example, around um, excellence versus access. So that was sort of one theme. We spent time unpacking the question. We then talked, there was a second theme where we were talking about the artist as the creator of innovation. So bringing curatorial practice into other contexts and other practices. And uh, we finished off there with a question which was, well, how can we create, sculpt, paint and perform social change? We moved on. There was a, a third theme, which was about the artist as a civic leader. And there the questions that were posed were about the relationship between the artist and the audience and posing a question about whether or not there's a disconnect between the artists and audience in the civic space. And is that umbilical cord intact between makers, artists, makers of art and the communities in which those artists reside and sit? Um, there was a play on one of, the, uh, one of the things that Liz Forgan said this morning, where she, in her speech she said, sometimes artists act in a way that is unpalatable at the vicar's tea table. And uh, from that, there was a, a discussion about the extent to which artists have a role in affecting policy change. Um, what responsibility do artists have in shaping the way, for example, that art is taught in schools? And are there key things that, as artists, we would want to change? Um, I want to sort of finish off by an, an anecdote which was shared with us by one of our speakers, Gavin Strang, who, t- who really was talking about the fact that change can be affected in different ways. And his anecdote was that when he was 12, his mother one day said, um, Gavin, why is your shirt hanging out of your trousers? The next day, she said again, why is your shirt hanging out of your trousers? And a third day. And he thought he'd got away with this. She'd sort of left it. Until the, the next day, she said, what I've done is I have sewed lace onto the bottom of your shirt. And the moral there is, there are sort of more ways to skin a cat, different ways to affect change. Moving on now to Christopher Cook, please. We talked... um, And your session was? Artists and imagination. Um, 
we had a kind of, I thought, spent early on a kind of text that we could uh, base our discussions around, um, which was from one of the artists, one of the young bursary artists within our group. The work comes from a need in my imagination, and that connection, I think, of need and imagination perhaps ran through most of the things we discussed together. We began by asking ourselves what constrains the imagination, and some of the answers to that were fairly obvious, space, time, and money. Um, we also pondered this idea of success and whether the artist's desire to be successful or indeed society's desire to enjoy successful artists or indeed institutions' need to privilege successful artists was in a way a break upon the imagination. And we also discussed institutions and whether institutions, in a sense, uh, to use my own verb, hobbled imagination. There was no broad agreement on that issue at all, we decided that often institutions were extraordinarily good at developing partnerships, creative partnerships with artists, and more importantly, one group discussed the fact that often within institutions you could establish networks of people who were sympathetic to what you were doing, and they could be encouraged, as it were, as a kind of fifth column within the institution, I suppose. There was a degree of concern about the word accessibility, meaning perhaps our need to understand exactly what the work that we're looking at, the work we're sitting through, is all about, in a kind of rational sense. And a strong plea that what we should have is the right, if you like, not to understand in any rational sense, but to use our imaginations as consumers, enjoyers, audiences, and so forth, of the particular work. In other words, to apprehend imaginatively rather than rationally. The imagination, most people agreed, allows an artist to be effective, collaborative and flexible and indeed to connect perhaps with a community from, so to speak, the individual imagination to a collective imagination. And there were eloquent testimonies from a number of people about how their work had actually reached from themselves out into a, a community, including a wonderful account of sitting alone in your room trying to write jokes and only knowing that that the joke is successful when some gut reaction tells you the audience will laugh and then finding that you were right. A kind of spark between the individual and the collective imagination. There was a view that audiences are perhaps more imaginative in their understanding of both work and the space within which work is to be seen, enjoyed, uh, than is always allowed for by institutions. And audiences, if you like, have allowed themselves to trust their imaginations in ways that we, administrators and others, have perhaps not always understood. And there was a last passionate plea, which is our, our final point, that imagination should be valued absolutely in our educational system, not simply at the end, either end, but from the very beginning to the very end, that it was absolutely paramount that imagination was part of that journey for all people, all children. Thanks very much. Liz Pugh, please. Your session was... Um, we were looking at um, artists and communities and picking up on, on that idea of artists who locate their work with and within communities. We talked about artists as activists, um, not sitting outside communities, but actually part of and within, and the fact that many artists are, wear a number of different hats at any different time. Um, Dan Thompson, who was one of the speakers, talked about um, riot cleanup and the fact that 7 million people were involved, 12,000 people came down and, and started cleaning up after the riots. It was all done through social media. There was no organisation behind that. And that has prompt, prompted through our discussion the idea that we might actually get rid of um, organisations or, or turn them inside out. Um, we talked...
talked about um, how, how we think about local and the idea that artists um, might reflect local stories and knowledge back into communities in different ways, the tensions between those who come in from the outside and, and activate or stir up or inspire, and those that are there all the time working away at the, at the coalface. Um, and that being, um, you know, we had examples from, from both practices. Um, we talked about the idea of pop-up and temporary and going forward, I think interrogating that notion of, of permanence and that might be around venues or, or organisations and impermanence. Um, how can you be transitory, responsive and, and fleet of foot? Um, we talked about... Um, the desire... Oh, hang on. Just, just got lost. We talked... Oh, yeah. Um, there was an independent artist. There was a number of independent artists in the group. And one of them made the, the very telling point that in partnerships, as we're all being encouraged to make... Um, an independent artist might be the only person in the room who is unpaid for the meetings that go into the time to set those projects up... Great. Well, let's come on to you and uh, Graham Sheffield. Tell me what you were doing. Remember, we just got two minutes each. It's actually very interesting because a lot of the, to as you would probably expect, a lot of the topics have over overlapped to some extent. So, the idea of Christopher's session, um, artists, uh, institutions hobbling the imagination, is a phrase that struck me. We were talking about artists and international. Um, we had two very uh, creative producers speaking, talking about the importance of connections of international, of artist networks, of artists leading the dialogue, of trusting the artist to create these dialogues. Um, a, a big issue for us in the conversation was, as you would expect, about mobility, but beyond the prosaic issues, prosaic but necessary issue of visas, but the whole issue of mobility in terms of facilitating the dialogue. Um, I think a few phrases that came up out of the conversation, the dangers of insularity, internationalism enables you to see yourselves in a new light, local becomes international in a different con context and changes the approach to your own work. Um, seeing it also through the lens of a single self-promoting artist, self-producing artist, not only through the eyes of an institution. Um, internationalism only makes sense in the context of the national, and we had a bit of a debate about that. Um, I think what we would throw out for the afternoon, and what we, we, well, we weren't asked to do that in the morning, but in the afternoon they're supposed to be sorting it all out, or we, we were creating all the problems this morning, of articulating a new definition of internationalism and its benefits and the potential of it, and being more robust in our articulation of that to those who can make a difference in the policy area. Thank you very much. Bob Israel, your session was? Our session was artists and young people, and we heard directly from two young artists, and they spoke very much around the real challenges uh, facing them, including debt and including not having the, the, the time and resources to develop their work, but also the incredible amount that they have achieved. As a global group, some of the key issues were around balancing, in terms of reaching young people and getting them involved in the arts, balancing informal and formal, uh, better relationships between the education sector and the arts sector, financial sustainability for young artists, the organizations need to pay their young artists, the need for a development of the complementary positions like the producer, the role of uh, national certification programs, the role of parents and 
and family, um, that we need to take risks with our young artists. We need inspiring mentors and facilitators. We need to value R&D. Young artists need to be able to make mistakes. They need to be able to find their own unique voice. Um, and that really contained with this issue of artists and young people, that there is a sense of urgency um, and that there really is a, a chance that young people will not have the creative childhoods that they deserve and that there's a real sense of urgency with this issue. Thank you very much. Sue Harrison. Yep, mine was artists and audience. And um, we had two very talented creative producers as uh, speakers. But um, for one of the first comments of the session was, well, we do need to hear from an artist. So I'll tell you the artist's story first. Which an artist talked about her work and she talked about um, having produced successful work. And the question for the artist then becomes, do I produce more of this? Do I produce something that's similar so that my audiences stay with me? Or do I continue to develop my own work and how, how cutting edge can I be? Um, but the, the um, sense from the, from the presentation was that um, you need to give audiences codes to understand work, that artists who are mature artists, their work can be even more challenging, but if it's great work, then you have to stick with it and you have to ensure that you can bring audiences to it. Um, the audiences have a little problem with complexity. They can draw narrative and they're happy with um, complex narrative. They enjoy virtuosity, but an intellectual virtuosity is really, uh, really important. Um, and finally, we talked about lots of things, but really um, we, we touched on democratisation of culture and how participation is being promoted and is that simply the making of art and how can we take it further and how can we ensure that people are more engaged after they've made, uh, made work. And very finally, um, our public space. And our public space is now commodified, it's commercialised, infotainment. And there is no intellectual rigour within the public sphere. How can we make that happen? Julia Fawcett. Yes, thank you. Um, my session was on artists and fundraising, and we had a fantastic range of um, organisations and artists, small and large um, arts organisations, in the room. And like um, some of the other chairs have said, there has been quite a lot of crossover um, of themes and, and topics. The three key issues, I think, that were raised in um, this morning's session were around the competition for the, the, the philanthropic pound, obviously something we're all very familiar with, but quite a lot of sort of um, dialogue and conversation around language and artists and arts organisations struggling to articulate sometimes their work in one language, um, even more difficult to be multilingual. And we had some really great evidence and stories from the room of you know, the inappropriate way in which we sometimes try to, uh, to place and position our work. One of our speakers said he really hates receiving applications that have mirrored uh, or cut and pasted um, language from arts, arts Council applications. Lots of talk around capacity within the sector as we're looking to drive costs down. Is this an area where you know, smaller arts organisations, independent audience, um, or, uh, artists, do they have the chance, the opportunity, the skills, the resources to upskill and, and work in this area to generate the funds? And finally, um, a lot of co uh, conversation around collaboration, uh, collaborative fundraising opportunities and some really great input from um, our key speakers, Regis Cochefer uh, from the Paul Hamlin Foundation was giving some really great illustrations, small, large, independent artists is coming together for the first time and putting forward uh, collaborative bids. Thank you very much indeed. And Alison Clark-Jenkins. Okay, um, uh, my session was effectively climate change. Um, there were three really powerful key messages. The first was we must, we must take climate change uh, seriously and artists must have a central role within that. And that's about their content and their practice. 
The second issue was, is that business works long-term and the arts work long-term. That's where the arts and the artists can really make a big difference. And focusing on big, biz on big business, not just smaller-scale party politics, is really key. And then finally, and this was the strongest and the most powerful message of all, was around business sponsorship linked a bit to your session, was that if the arts are taking sponsorship from major corporates um, in the attempt of those corporates to pretend that they care about the world through art sponsorship, that's not only doing a disservice to that particular partnership, it's actually doing a disservice to the whole of the arts world. Well, thank you very much. Just finally, um, Arts and the Creative Economy, which certainly uh, touches up against some of the things you were saying. It was very much not what the artists can do for the Arts Council, but what the Arts Council can do for the artist. And um, so very clear messages came out that what uh, artists want from the Arts Council is more advocacy. A lot of the brokerage work we have from one of our speakers that, from the Arts Council that happens at the moment can be done even better and in a bigger scale. The idea is that artists that come together in a, in a sort of self uh, governing group to actually go and say well, this is what we can do for your community um, just give us the tools, a lot of bartering, uh, a lot of quid pro quo, That's what our, and the idea that artists aren't entrepreneurial was kind of dismissed immediately because of course artists are entrepreneurial where there were big um, areas where a lot of work could be done would be with councillors because the whole area of councillors and putting, putting a cultural dividend at the heart of planning applications could be much more equally spread nationally. That actually where a lot of the hard work has got to be done now I, by Arts Council, by other advocacy groups, is with councillors. And get onto your chambers of commerce. I, mean, I think really the, the kind of way, almost like guerrilla tactics. We talked about areas that were regenerated first by artists. Artists go in first. And then they, and we were talking about Hoxton, they, they, they are very much, they are the generators of that community. And, and the more that councillors can see the value of having artists at the heart of the community, the better it will be. We talked about the fact that 78% of the arts funding philanthropically goes to London, really needs to be redressed. And it's all very well. And in fact, that 78% of funding goes to very, very small, very big scale uh, events. What we need to see is a way of encouraging all levels of business, all levels of banking to invest in perhaps more difficult work, lower key work, works by less known artists. And I think a lot of advocacy on that can be done with the Arts Council too. So with that, I'd like you to thank all our morning chairs for their contributions. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. <laughs>